Thank you everyone for coming to this live recording of Control Alt Delete podcast. I'm so excited because we have the, the amazing Catherine Ormerod who, well, I've just been a bit of a fangirl kind of following you for years. So oh, this shucks. is really fun. I'm really, really <laughs> excited. And the book, Why Social Media is Ruining Your Life, is A, an incredible book. It's also kind of going mad online, ironically, with the hashtag, which is really, really interesting. You should check that out. But I just feel like tonight's going to be quite therapeutic in general for all of us because <laughs> um, we're getting to that point, aren't we, with the internet? So just a little bit of a background on Catherine. Ten years or more of being a journalist. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> you are a, an incredible journalist. You're also someone who's very wise, very real, and just everyone likes you. You're just one of those people who kind of tells it how it is, but um, in a really wise and wonderful way. And um, I actually remember when we first crossed paths, when I worked at Glamour magazine and you were freelancing at Fashion Week. And I think we were both probably projecting a really glamorous sort of glossy outlook on magazine life. And I think we were both frazzled at that point. Um, So it ties in with what you you talk about. So to kick off, um, I just wanted to ask you really um, where this idea for the book came from. Obviously, Work, 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 your website is an anti-perfectionism sort of destination. Yeah, so basically I only got onto social media full stop because my editor at Grazia told me that I had to get rid of my BlackBerry and buy an iPhone and start an Instagram account. So the, the funny story is that even though my whole new media kind of trajectory has happened it only happened because I was working in old media you know Mm -hmm. and I think that people forget that journalists were kind of told to be on social it became this moment that if you were like under 30 it was like oh well we're not going to do it but you guys are now going to go out there and take pictures and create this whole new you know area of content for every single publication so that's kind of why I got onto social media in the first place And then I left my staff job and social media then became really important to making money, to gaining access to the kind of world, the industry. um, And, you know, when I was covering Fashion Week for, you know, Glamour, for example, the fact that I had my own platform became part of the draw, Mm -hmm. I suppose. And everything was quite rosy at the beginning and like quite fun. And when you really scroll, like deep scroll, you know, (laughs) you know, if if you've really been back, you can see that like it isn't the way it is now. Mm. It's really interesting that kind of looking back even a few years, because I think you can be really in the here and now. Mm. And even that nostalgia of when it wasn't cool, actually, in fashion back then, was it to be to be doing any sort of blogging or Instagramming? It was sort of but now all the top editors are loving well, loving their followers. Exactly, and it, it's quite funny because like, oh, I was working at Grazia and in the scheme of magazines, it's kind of seen as like the cheesy outpost. Not cheesy, but like, you know, it, it pushes the kind of tabloidy sensationalism, you know, uh, celebrity side of things. There are other magazines that think that maybe it's a bit, you know, infradic, let's just say. Um, so the fact that I was doing it for that magazine, my, my um, handle was actually Catherine Grazia. So, you know, I was really subtle about it. Unbelievably, a lot of people thought it was my surname, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was really, really all about my job. And I think that when it's all about your job, it's really easy to be like, oh, I'm taking these pictures of myself or I'm, I'm you know, taking these pictures of this food because it's my job. You know, it's not 
personal to me. It's not embarrassing to me. But are you really always doing it for your job? Or are you also doing it because you're building up mm. people liking you? And is it just an excuse that you can kind of say to your friends who are maybe laughing at you a bit for being a bit boasty on social media? Oh, I have to do it. It's because yeah. of my job. Yeah. Anyway, so going back. I then was doing it. Like, I, so I started Instagram in about 2014. And then by about 2016, like... I don't know, there was, uh, I started to feel a bit funny about some things, lots of things just with my career full stop. I wasn't really sure what the next step was and I knew that I kind of like needed to carve out a place for myself. I know this sounds mad, but I almost felt like I was too old to make a website of just pictures of me in outfits. Do you know what, I don't know where it came from, but I guess like it was seemed to be a load of kids, like 20 year olds doing that and I just was like, you know what, I'm I'm in my 30s now and I've been a journalist for a long time. Like, what, what do I do? How do I make that work? And then I went on a holiday with a bunch of other, e like, really successful women in their 30s and the type of women that you just look up to endlessly. One of the one of the girls on the trip is like head of drama at like one of the biggest production companies in the US. Another one has her own brand. Another one is like senior VP for like the biggest fashion brand in the world, you know. So you're uh, amongst lots of really successful women. And all of us on this holiday were taking emails, taking calls from the office. We were on our sun loungers having, you know, don't get me wrong, a lovely time, but it wasn't like we were off. Mm. Yeah, you know, there's a blend, and there. I think w uh, anyone that's living, you know, a multi-hyphenate life will um, be really aware of that situation. That you know, it's very, very easy to blend your work and home life so much so that like there is no end to it, and it isn't just discipline. Actually, there is no you can't because it would really jeopardize things that are going on. Yeah. You know, by not picking up your phone, people just say, "Oh, just put your phone down." Actually, sometimes I do it when I'm with my little boy and by the end of the day, like something could really have gone wrong that I really care about, you know? So it's it, it's not just being obsessed and addicted to your phone. This is what work is like today. The structures of things have changed and the way that you have to be responsive. Yeah, and I think the media are really kind of loving the fact that it's backfiring though because I think there's been so much in the news at the moment of like um, they were kind of describing YouTubers as uh, being in a digital prison that they've built themselves. It's like, yeah, you built this career so you, you now have to be like stuck in it. And I think what's really interesting about your book is basically you're saying that, um, yeah, it's not perfect. But also I, I, don't, I didn't know so much of the influencer backstory in life there's one bit in the book where you kind of pull back the curtain on um, how influencers will see what's working. So say it's a picture at a very specific hotel and then they'll go out and recreate that picture because it will do well. That's all. I just don't know anything about that world. It's yeah. fascinating. It is. And like because people treat it like a business, they drill down to that kind of granular level of, OK, I'm going to Morocco. Which pictures have done the best? I need to stay at this hotel. This is the room in the hotel that I need to get. I need to make sure that if I can't get into that room, I can get access to that room to take that picture. You know, this is, this is, it's a very different type of travel these days. I mean, you can all imagine it already now. Margaritas, some like beach sunsets, you know, bikini bodies in a designer bikini. And for younger women or younger journalists or people coming up in fashion or any creative industry to see that, 
Like, I was removing all of the work and only putting the rewards out there. Mm -hmm. We were all working, all of us. We were all complicit in the same thing, that we're on this holiday and we're all just having, you know, living our best life. And, you know, and we you were. you see the one, the one picture. You, yeah, you see the one picture of the day and it, it, that wasn't what it was. So the reason the website is called Work, Work, Work is because one of the girls on the trip was going through heartbreak because we all put a lot of work into our relationships. You don't get a happy marriage. It's something that you have to invest in. We all put a lot of work into our jobs. We all put a lot of work into, you know, our personal development. Like, that almost sometimes gets taken out of the picture. You know, you don't just suddenly turn up at 25 and be full of self-esteem and self-worth and everything. Like, that's a process in itself, and it's an investment in yourself. Mm. And social media takes all of that work out of the equation. I love that website, and I, I remember emailing you when you first launched it, and I think... Uh, one of the pieces that really s kind of struck with me, and I, and I think it was one of your really popular ones, was um, you were talking about money and you were talking about how, like an Instagram feed, basically you can see someone's life and all the bags and all the ham like shoes and all the holidays and stuff. And actually you were saying, yes, I've got all these lovely things, but you basically said you didn't have much in your bank account at that time and actually the Instagram feeds just did not match up with reality. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and the reason I left my job at Grazia was because, like... I had a great life, I had a great job, but it was so precarious in that I was flying around the world, Tokyo, New York, you know, everything that you imagine one of these jobs would be, staying in ridiculous hotels, traveling business class, sometimes I'd look and the flights cost like 5,000 pounds, you know, like 5,000 pounds, you know, it, it, even like there's no moment that I'm gonna be like, <gasps> you know, not about that, and I came back from one of those trips, I, you know, and I had all of these designer handbags, all this lovely stuff that used to just arrive at my desk all the time. And I came back from one of those trips and I had really bad toothache. And I went to the, the dentist and they were like, you need a crown and like a, you know, a root canal filling. And I couldn't afford it. And I was 31, <laughs> you know, and I was like, Living for accessories is fine when you're 25, but when you get into your 30s, like it starts to become financially irresponsible because I started thinking, like, who am I waiting for to pay this bill? Like, I had to call my dad up and be like, can you lend me the money? I'm like, which man on some white horse is going to suddenly swoop in and start funding the reality of my lifestyle? Like, there's an element of being a feminist that you have to say, like, if you're earning such little money that you can't pay for yourself, like, basic things, mm. then you're not actually really fulfilling what being a feminist means, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. ultimately, you have to take some financial responsibility for yourself. And, you know, I, I couldn't afford my life. And I wasn't living a great, like, you know, some swanky life. I was sharing a flat share with my brother and my boyfriend. Like, three of us lived in a two-bed. We all know what it's like. It's so expensive. And when you're earning, like, you know, between 20 and 30 grand, it, 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 living in London, even though that's, like, really close, obviously, to the national average, you end up, like, living week to week. Did know? it feel almost, like, quite jarring then? Because I guess... Well, in the acknowledgements of your book, actually, you, you say about your mum, thanks for teaching me that oversharing is caring, I think you, you said, which I loved. 
And it's almost like it's kind of in your <clears throat> DNA to share. Obviously, you've got your other account now where you share the behind the scenes of um, being a mum now. And I and I just love that account just for for the honesty as well. It feels still quite new. Is it is it something that you've always been wanting to do? So obviously, so because you weren't sharing, and I now wasn't. you are. Do you feel better? I wasn't. I definitely feel like I'm more authentically myself. Um, because I think if you'd ever met me ever at any point in my life, like one drink down, there aren't many secrets left, <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> I just, you know, I've always been a, a talker and I'm interested in people and I think it's unbelievably rude to ask people questions about themselves and then hold back yourself. And I think, like, from a journalism perspective, there's a reason that that's my job because I'm <laughs> endlessly curious about other people's lives and, you know, how they've lived and we've all got such unusual experiences and interesting lenses on the world and... You know, as part of that, it has to be a two-way street, you know. And often I've I've found that you'll meet up with a group of girlfriends, and this happened a lot in my 20s, and maybe they were from uni or friends from school or whatever, and the conversation will start really, you know, quite innocuously. How's everything going? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, things are great. Yeah, I really love my job. Blah, 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 blah. And then one drink, two drink. And then me, normally someone, will say do you know what, something actually isn't going right. And it will be like this domino effect. Suddenly it goes around the circle and everyone suddenly feels supported and not judged for the fact that there are failures, that things aren't going quite to plan. And do you know what, that is the story of your 20s. Things are not like this upward trajectory. It's hard, it really is. And when you're grafting and making your way, like things are going to go wrong. And I think probably on a, a digital level and on a professional level, like in my 20s, I didn't want anyone to know what was really going wrong in my life. I, I really wanted to keep that in. And I think we all want to look good on paper in the same way that we want to look good on screen. You know, they're, they're very similar. But then just before my 30th birthday, my life imploded and my husband left me and I, I got divorced and, and it was a massive shock to me and it, it completely changed my life. Uh, it took a while to change it, you know, obviously. Um, at the time, I was just, like, catatonic, really, and going through the paces of a life rather than really living it. But the, the kind of, after the dust had settled, what happened is I realised that all of these ideas that I was putting out about myself on paper or on screen or whatever, like... I couldn't control that. I couldn't control the fact that someone else might want to leave me and things would go so dramatically wrong. And I think as soon as you realise that and as soon as you realise you, you survived, <laughs> you know, you got up, you lived another day, um, I think it's really hard then to paper over the cracks and continue pretending. Mm. And basically, I think, really, as much as it was like the worst thing at the time... It's made me the person I am. It's made me very open and empathetic and understanding of other people's struggles and worries. And I couldn't keep pretending that things were perfect because, you know, he was gone. I, <laughs> you know, I couldn't keep it superimposing him in yeah. pictures or, like, recycling old shots. I, I did consider it for a minute. I, I told you I was a bit mad at the time. But, you know, like that, I, there had to be an explanation. The only explanation was something had gone wrong. You know? It feels like though that you were doing it in quite a healthy way because you, you were writing like a big magazine article or you were writing like a long form piece for your website. I just I wonder about this sort of like clickbait 
world we're living in where it's like I was dumped and then it's like you're making money off views and you're monetizing all these different parts of your lives do you yeah. think there's any kind of limit to oh actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna monetize that bit I'm gonna keep that back or so my big thing and I'm about to break a rule because there's something I really want to talk about that I haven't processed yet but um not this evening just in general um but I really think that you should really only talk about things that have happened in your life that are difficult after the fact. You need to have processed it. And actually for my website, if I interview someone and they, it feels to me that they haven't come out the other side, I won't publish the piece mm -hmm. until we've had a discussion after it. Because that's, that's what traditional journalism does. Like, it tells you to go into a bathroom and find a woman who has broken up from her boyfriend three days ago and get a quote. Like, that, I've done that in my career, you know, and I hated it because I don't think any of us should feel that we have an answer yet. You don't know what the answer is for a little bit of time mm -hmm. and you don't know actually what you're comfortable sharing with until you're through the fuzz. And I, I know I, like, talk about how I was a little bit unhinged, but I really was. Like, I wasn't a version of myself that I really recognized. Like I was lost and I was deeply unhappy and I probably would have said anything to anyone, you know. I probably did say anything to anyone <laughs> along the line. Thank God I'm not a celebrity <laughs> because that would have been awful, you know. But equally, you know, I do think afterwards, if you feel that you've dealt with something and you feel really positive about it in a way that, that sharing it might mean something to someone else, and it means something to you to be there for someone else, then definitely feel free to share it because there's only going to be love back from it. And if there isn't, like, you actually don't really care mm. because you've been there, you've done it, you've got that T-shirt, you've dealt with it. If someone wants to say rubbish about it, like, go for it. It can't be anywhere near as bad as the experience you had. Yeah. So um, equally, I don't really talk about my current relationship. And I think like people probably see me as a sharer. I've obviously said that I am an oversharer. In some ways, I definitely am. But I'm, it's actually something that I'm now really private about. You know, occasionally I'll put a nice picture up of him or we'll have a, a small discussion on his birthday or something like that. But no one really knows the ins and outs of it because... I don't want to share it anymore, yeah. you know? I, I, I feel like it's precious, it's ours. There's it, a reason. It does feel like there's a bit of a trend towards almost like the more content you are, the less you're going to be oversharing. Yeah. Well, I know that that's true for me and kind of true for, for quite a lot of people I've interviewed. They, they you know, they, I can say, oh, I remember in like 2013 when you were, when you were like really on Twitter a lot and I thought wow you're you're just doing really well you're doing all these things and they were like are you kidding me I was in a complete meltdown and I was in bed all day and that's why you know you saw what I was doing just thought that was really yeah we just don't know what's going on half oh, 100% so from a statistical perspective if you read this book there will be some there's in there so much so much research <laughs> in it. there's amazing. a lot of research because I was like I, it can't be fluff like if you're going to write a book like this and you're an influencer it has to be legit you know so I was like I've got to know my stuff so firstly the people that share most about their relationship are those who are the most insecure in it that is you know now through research and statistics has been proven taking a selfie it's not something you do when you feel good about yourself the process of it makes you feel worse so as an actual act the fact that people think it's narcissistic is one of the 
the worst misconceptions maybe of what social media culture is. Um, and I think a lot of us can identify with that. I actually rarely share pictures of my face. I don't really like it. It makes me feel wildly uncomfortable. I much prefer to like to be at a whole body shot from far away with a background. That makes me feel much more comfortable. The idea of turning the camera on myself feel, actually quite fills me with dread and the thought of the scrutiny of it. I don't like it when you accidentally kind of put it on your face. Well, you know. <laughs> that's, you know that's when you're like, great. wow, I've got 17 <laughs> chins. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, I've aged. <laughs> this is quite something. But I wonder, but yeah, with so that, I, you, it was women is, as yeah. well, more than men, share more. Yeah, they do. That, that was interesting. On every single um, platform, women are, the, you know, that we know from a social media perspective, they're the highest level of user. They engage more. They use more. They're on it more hours. They... Um, you know, they also put more value on mm. the relationships that they create through social media. So in the main, obviously, this is a huge generation, um, generalization rather than generation. Um, but men use social media still for a lot of traditional pursuits. It could be news. It could be, you know, sports results. It sounds really, really, you know, um, stereotypical but still the, the the research does prove out they don't have the same connection that we do and there is a, a thing to say you know the male and female brain obviously they're different they're wired differently and social connection is so key to how we find our self-worth our place within society and whether that's just the chemical side of our brain or the socialization as well you know when you put it together for us as women social media is a really intoxicating world mm, that's what it was it was like women are more attached to it and I just thought that's so interesting if that's true because that means that we're we're spending a lot of time worried about ourselves about our lives about how we look I mean it's the same old story like women have been worried about the way they look forever or they've been preoccupied with with things that a lot of men haven't I mean I know I don't know if anyone here has been following like J Jamila Jamil and everything she's been saying but there's one thing that she did say that really really stuck out to me was basically anytime you get up 15 minutes early to do your makeup or anytime you are thinking about your weight or anytime you are just distracted worrying that you look bad that's like energy that you could be putting into something else like propelling a business forward or well, like breaking a glass ceiling down yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> this is this is one of the things that the book says until we like deal with this you know, we are really not channeling a lot of the energy that we could in, in the real fight. And I know this sounds like quite old school feminist of me, but like the real fight is that we can live a life where we have equal access to all opportunity, financial, you know, resources and, you know, social standing. And instead of that, we're now almost becoming more introverted sitting there looking at these pictures thinking oh maybe I shouldn't try this business maybe I shouldn't wear that dress maybe I shouldn't go out to this place this evening because of looking at everyone else's perfected life mm. what I love about the book is obviously all of the research it is incredible it is has so much in it I learned so much but also what's so great is you end each chapter with some sort of practical tips and and advice and it's very very tangible Woo. Um, <laughs> and, and that's really great, that sort of mixture of, of the two. Is there anything, just because I feel like we need sort of help <laughs> these days, is there anything that you learnt or anything that you do that, that has genuinely changed how your relationship with your phone or...? Never take your phone into the bedroom. Mm. Like do it, you have an alarm clock then? So last Christmas, that was my gift. 
noticed. <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe my problems aren't just something that I've noticed. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I got a, a long clock from my boyfriend for Christmas. Like I do wonder how many people are going to get this book from their boyfriend for Christmas as like a ha ha. <laughs> you know, where social media is ruining our life. Um, <laughs> your social media is ruining my life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, what is the most wonderful thing about not having my phone in the bedroom at night is that I mean all research proves we are at our most vulnerable last thing at night first thing in the morning we're in a kind of dreamlike state you don't quite have the le same level of cynicism that you might have at like 3 p.m in the daytime you know I dream about the last person I bloody look at on Instagram these days exactly. I'm like why is that model in my dream it's all very it, kind of weird and it's not a shock because if you watch a film before you go to bed you know you can feel those emotions suddenly you've had like a murder mystery <laughs> dream or whatever of course you know it, and that influencer did it well quite <laughs> exactly Cluedo <laughs> um, but you know I, I think that you internalise messages much at a much more susceptible rate before you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning mm -hmm. another thing that I found that I didn't write about in the book because it actually wasn't something the penny hadn't dropped but if you break the cycle of feeling that you have to look at social media first thing in the morning it's quite and you don't do it on the commute either because that's another one people a lot of people say to me they sit there and they scroll they scroll they scroll then they lose wi-fi between stations and they sit there and they're like <laughs> 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 and then they get wi-fi again and they're like okay okay scroll 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 <laughs> I, I, I hear some laughs. It sounds like this person was not the only one. Anyway, um, so if you don't do it during those times, it's quite amazing how real life takes over. Mm. I've just been on holiday for a week without my phone. I say without my phone. I just didn't look at my emails or, or scroll or post on Instagram for a week. It's like, I'm back. And everyone's like, I didn't notice you were away. Like it's not, it's not a big deal. Um, it only was to, to you, you though. For me it was, but so, um, you know, that, that's all that matters. That, yeah. But what was interesting is the first few days were really hard and kind of embarrassingly hard. And then I felt so free. And and I know people have said that to me. They just said the first few days will be you'll be a bit weird and tetchy. But um, then I didn't want to go back on it. Yeah. And I think that happened because you got the fear. You know, the fear of do I go back to that? Waking up <laughs> yeah. at 2 a.m. in the morning. The days seem so long. Well, you know, with from a millennial perspective, uh, there's a, there's a huge proportion of people that sleep with their phone under their pillow. Like that's a that's a whole thing. Mm. You know that the fact that if you stir in the middle of the night and you reach under your thing and you might then look that oh. that is a, that's a it's like you know I I was a smoker and if I woke up at 3 a.m. lucidly I would go and have a cigarette. So mm. I I can really see that you know. Mm. I mean I I read. Um, this statistic that it's an Australian statistic, but that 20% of people have admitted to checking their phone during actually having sex. Yeah, and I mean, think think how many people use it on the loo. Like yeah. literally the germs, yeah. sex. So you can't even wait to refresh your Instagram. Like it's it's mad out there. It, it, it is mad. And I think that, you know what, it's easy to be like judgy about it, but equally, you know success within our era is predicated on it to such an extent that obviously you're going to be interested in terms of what's going on you know that this is where you are getting your self-worth from your validation mm -hmm. from it's wildly addictive and you know people have very have been at least very skeptical about behavioral addictions like even now sex addiction or love addiction for example get maligned in lots of you know 
medical journals and so on and so forth. But if you've ever tried to reduce your social media use and not been able to, that means that you are addicted, mm. <laughs> you know, because you, you want to get it. That, that feeling that you had in those first few days. Yeah. That is so exactly the same as wanting to have a cigarette it, or something. It is, it is. And it's so, like so how do we move away then from validation? Because there's a bit in the book that's really, really great about, you know, self-worth and validation being likes. And I think there's so many memes that go around saying, you're, you know, you're more than likes and you are more than um, your Instagram feed, you're more than your followers. But but like, you, like you're saying... It, it, it kind of is a way of valuing. It is a way of getting free trips. It is a way of rewards, yeah. rewarding yourself. So how do we tell young people that it isn't everything when actually you get everything by having millions of followers? Yeah, I mean, look, this is the whole thing about this book. It's, you know, I haven't written it as in like, oh, you know, we live in this perfect world where if people like you, it doesn't mean anything. If people don't like you, it doesn't, like, it's not, true you know we all know this if you get on well with people in the office you're probably going to get a promotion if you get on well with people on social media you're probably going to get access to a few things let's stop pretending that that isn't the case like we all want to be validated we all want popularity that is part of intrinsically part of being human so we just kind of need to forget about that what we need to potentially think is you know that validation, what's going on on social media, it has to be one of the pans frying in our general life. It can't be the only pan frying. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that is more than anything the most important way of dealing with social media. It can't be every part of the way that you validate yourself. It can't be every part of the way that you promote your career. I think that for, for people that work in social media and that is all they do, it is a prison. Mm. You know, because you, everything you're doing is based on other people's opinions of what you're doing. So uh, yeah, and it's, I think it's one of the biggest myths actually that people think if you have like an online career that you are just sat in your bedroom refreshing and using algorithms to like new pages and get news followers, and it's like a lot of building a career is in real life and it, it always is. will be it is and i think that you know you need to make sure that you're doing other things like i know this sounds so old-fashioned but get a hobby <laughs> you know and i really think that hobbies are coming back as like quite a big thing because it's very easy to do work and to do social media and to do your your you know your wellness and exercise and then your social life but actually have something outside of that but like th those aren't that you don't that you don't put anywhere you don't put yeah. anywhere it's it's just something and you know you can go and make a pot you can go and use a coloring book like whatever mm. you want to do you don't have to suddenly be like the next picasso although sometimes i like to think i would be <laughs> if i put my mind to it you know mm. like you c you just need to go off and do something else that that helps you with your idea of self-worth it could be running a marathon it could be passing your driving test something in in the whole mixture of you know this very personal bespoke idea of what your life is it can't just be social mm -hmm. media yeah it that's really good advice so you know that 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 has to be it for everyone and of course that the two key key tenants the two key things that i want everyone to take away from this book is number one there's nothing wrong with technology you know we've had a million at the end is nigh moments with technology all the way from Luddites through to radio for goodness sakes like people thought that was going to be the end of everything and then of course television and computer games and the internet and now social media like 
technology is an enabler. We need to decide how we're going to use it and how we perceive what we consume on it. And if we all in this room right now say, okay, social media isn't a fully reflective version of anyone's life. And I think we all know that. Everyone knows that, but yet we don't know it, you know? Because we're looking at it at 11.30 p.m. at night and suddenly we seem willing to suspend disbelief and suddenly think, you know what? She has a perfect house and a perfect child and a perfect husband and a perfect outfit and everything about her life is so perfect. Why can't I have access to this different version of life which seems like no tragedy could possibly ever happen? But there aren't two versions of life. No one is protected from tragedy because we all have parents, we all have people in our life that get sick and die. We all have, you know, issues with fertility or, you know, we all have bosses. Like, no one is new from that. It's part and parcel of the fact that we are individuals in a world where we make relationships. So, mm-hmm. there aren't two versions of life. There's one version of life. We're just selective about how we present ourselves and our lives on social media so that's what you're seeing and number two you have responsibility for your own social media use like you can't palm it off on anyone else there is a lot in the book about how I feel like some of the ways that these sites have been architecturally created are nefarious. I do truly believe that. The fact that people are making billions and billions and billions of dollars off of us because we all have to remember, we think that social media platforms are there for our entertainment. They're not. We are the product that they sell to advertisers. It isn't about like, oh, connectivity and having fun. And for them, ultimately, it's where the money comes from is our eyeballs and our levels of addiction. So and, that, and that's the reason why actually I've gone off it because I, I think I have my own platforms that I, am, I monetize, like I, not social media. So actually I'm not going to concentrate on Instagram too much because I don't, it, I don't own the content that's on it. So I think that's a really interesting point. Exactly. And also you'll find that there are endless updates and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not on IGTV net. You know, you're like, I, ha- I haven't done this yet. Does that mean I'm like behind? And all you have to remember is every time that there's a development, it's to get more of your eyeballs, to make more money from you. Mm. It's not f- so you're like, oh, this is really fulfilling my life and making everything better. If you don't want to get involved in doing stories even, or uh, which, let's be honest, has completely changed the game again, you know, you don't have to do it. Just because they put it in front of your face and it's there, you don't now suddenly have to like be creating long-form mm. video It's turning content. into a whole new job. IGTV, it's like, well, I have to be a producer now. Exactly. I have to kind of create my exactly. own mini studio. And I, I feel that pressure. I'm like, how come, how come I'm not doing that? Am I missing a trick? Mm. Would this be like really helping my brand? And then suddenly I'm like... If I'm going to do that, firstly, I'm going to do it on YouTube, the place that created this stuff, you know, like they can't have everything. They've already kind of, you know, taken Snapchat down at the knees. But anyway, this is by the by. This is that is more, I guess, an industry conversation. But equally, it's it's worth remembering that everything that is created on social media is being created to get more money out of you, to use your demographics and your personal information to make them money. And if you ever think that these are the people that are going to fix it for you, like, no. That's like asking Big Tobacco to make cigarettes a little bit less addictive, you know? And seemingly every government in the world seems to think that they'll self-manage this situation. And there's a whole new movement called, like, humane tech. 
and they're like you know saying that they're going to like la make little incursions here and there to to create a better space for everyone the only person you can rely on to make a better space for it is you like, mm -hmm. you know, and there is a responsibility for creators, as in there's a responsibility for everyone that's putting pictures out there to to maybe, you know, it's difficult. It's a, it's a real dichotomy because I believe in the, 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 the creation of a fantasy world and that it's great to have a place for creative expression. But if you're doing that in a way that could really harm someone else. And I normally use a really good analogy here. If like you're using Facetune to make you look like someone that you wouldn't recognize, <laughs> you know, half the size, different nose, different teeth. Like really, what good is that doing for you or anyone else? Mm -hmm. Like Definitely. that for me is- Don't even Facetune your food. Cause that's just not fair either. No. I do Facetune two things, cigarette butts on the floor and wheelie bins in the background. That's fine. I, I feel like I'm not doing a disservice to the world there, <laughs> you know. But equally, you know, you, you, you know that feels bad. Like if, if you do something, if you put out content that isn't, you know that it's not good. Like mm. people must know. Like that however tempting it might be. However yes. tempting it might be. So yes there's a there's a certain level of responsibility and what i say to people is you don't have to share everything you don't have to share anything but don't feel like everything should be perfect you don't have the opportunity to show a chink in the armor because you do mm. you know y your platform is your platform of course and use it as you will but equally if you want to use it for good use it for good you yeah. know don't be scared about that yeah because you're going to get a positive response. So ultimately, yes, you have a level of responsibility as a creator, but more than anything, we all have a responsibility as users, mm -hmm. you know? You don't go to the supermarket and just buy turkey Twizzlers and then come home and be like, do you know what, that supermarket really made me fat. <laughs> You know, you've got the choice. The kale is there, <laughs> you know? And that's the thing. On social media, everything's there. If you've spent 15 minutes looking, scrolling, and you walk away and you think, I haven't learned a single thing. I haven't got anything positive from that. That's your fault. That's no one else's fault. I really like that because then that's the whole conversation around you can unfollow. You can stop looking. Exactly. And unfollow is, uh, I think unfollow is a big thing now. We talk about it a lot. But more than that, you need to be actively seeking out people that inspire you and that you learn from. Because unfollow is like, yeah, we get it. Someone's not making you feel great. But if you're not replacing them with other people that do make you feel great and change your view on the world or give you a brand new experience then you're not curating something. You're just being like, those people make me feel bad and I'm going to get rid of them. Thank you. you so, so much, Catherine. That has been so interesting. I've learned so much. And I feel so much better, actually, about so much stuff because of your book and what, what you say. Oh, it's a really so positive force and I feel you're very wise and, um, yeah, full of information. So thank you.